podcast, Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson. Episode number 22 with Pete Griffin, master baser of epic proportions, Zappa plays Zappa, Death Clock, Draft Tongue Orchestra, Legends of the Seagullmen, Generation Axe. Dude, check out all of his music on the Players Pick Podcast playlist on Spotify. Rad. Okay, I think we got all the things that are uh, needed Okay, in place. What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, welcome to Guitar. Uh, this is like a, a, the, the number one guitar pick podcast in the world. All right. Griffin. Nice. <laughs> I just realized that nobody else can lay claim to that. Yeah, there you and go. I'm just going to start saying it now. Dude, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever puts you on the chart. Um, this is episode uh, number 22 of Players Pick Podcast. Right on. With Pete Griffin. Uh, PETA. PETA Griffin. Yeah. Every um, day. I know, right? Like, it doesn't get old, I'm sure, ever. It's, I'm actually fine with it. Everyone's like, oh, does that make you so mad? I'm like, if I if it did, I would be a miserable, miserable person. Miserable. Like, like, every day it comes up, and they're like, you know, the best is really at the airport, because it puts a smile on the TSA, TSA guy's face. <laughs> you know, like, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, that's me. And yeah. then I just, you know, added some sunshine to his day by, by the virtue of my the name on my ID card. That's so amazing. It's fine. I'll, I'll take that. Do you enjoy the show? Oh, of course. I love okay. it. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. like, that I would be have. even extra miserable. Yeah, yeah. No, if, it, <laughs> like, no, if I didn't think it was funny at all. No, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of pretty much any of the adult animation stuff, but that, that show Same. in particular. It's awesome. Uh, well, what I have been trying to carve out here and, and kind of mess around with is uh, hear about people's kind of origin story as a musician, but through their guitar pick. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, when did your relationship to a guitar pick or bass pick in your uh, scenario, uh, when did it uh, first start? Do you remember who gave you your first guitar pick or how you found it and how did you get, come to play what you play now? It's actually kind of interesting. I, I, I grew up as the bass player who thought that playing with a pick was a crime. And, mm-hmm. a, and a travesty, uh, despite the fact that in hindsight, I was listening to a lot of bass players that were playing with a pick. Mm. But uh, I was so against being anything close to a guitar player. I wanted to be a bass player only to the point where my, my, my dad would be like, oh, are you practicing your guitar? And I'd be like, it's a bass, dad. You know, like all mad <laughs> as if that makes any da- damn difference. Um and then uh, I started doing a few more auditions when I had moved out here to L.A., and I had realized uh, I had been such a kind of jazzbo fusion guy throughout high school and college and listening to Zappa and Weather Report and all that great stuff and Genesis and um, that uh, I got out here and I had to play rock and roll. I had to play big, dumb rock and roll. Mm. And I actually had an audition for Buck Cherry very early on and uh, my friend Yogi was playing guitar for them at the time and he told me to not come in with a bass that looked like a coffee table and I'm looking at my Warwick Corvette streamer which is gorgeous <laughs> maple looks like a damn coffee table totally and I was like okay so I went and got a uh, a Getty Lee jazz bass and didn't get the gig return the bass um <laughs> uh sorry guitar center um Thank you, and then, Guitar Center. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Uh, it was a killer bass. Uh, and then as I started doing more and more auditions, I was like, oh, wait, a lot of this stuff is actually played with a pick. And I was all bummed about it, but then I started doing it, and I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. And then as, as I'm sort of going backwards, I'm realizing, wait a minute, uh, Mike Rutherford from Genesis played with a pick a lot. Most of Frank's bass players played with a pick. Scott Tunis did. Tom Fowler did. Um, 
uh, Arthur Barrow did. Um, uh, Chris Squire, obviously, huge, huge pick guy. Like that's totally. all it was. And I was a huge Yes fan all through all through high school. Uh, so I realized, like, wait a minute, I've I've been so against this for so long, and yet so many of my heroes have that big clanky pick tone. And what it really, really was, um, especially when I first joined Zappa Play Zappa, was we were able because Joe's the vaultmeister, Joe Travers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to get separated tracks of songs like Peaches and Regalia, the one that we won the Grammy for, or Florentine Pogan, or uh, Inca Rhodes. Um, so I was able to at least just hear just the bass track on its own from a recording from like 1975 and stuff. Oh. I was like, who am I that I get to, as, as a fan <laughs> to be able to hear this stuff, especially these albums that, I mean, One Size Fits All is, is my favorite Zappa album. And it's one of those things that kind of like Dark Side of the Moon, you, I imagine that album just coming into being. Like you, right. don't, you don't think about the parts that make it up. No. You think of it just being formed by the gods <laughs> and handed down to humanity. And all those notes were pre pre decided, and you don't think about like the alternate takes and oh, and all that stuff. So I'm hearing these bass parts, and I'm hearing parts in them that I did not hear because I it was there was a low synthesizer that I thought it was, and especially um, Tom Fowler's tone on songs like Florentine Pogan, it's so clicky and so pick like that I was like, I need to completely reinvent everything I'm doing here to be able to play this more difficult stuff like like Village of the Sun or Florentine Pogan with a pick because that's so much more of the original tone that he had. Hmm. And it really helps cut through all the other denser stuff, like especially George, all of George Duke's keyboards and all that stuff. Like it, it really kind of changed my whole approach to tone and everything so that I spent kind of the first five years of bass playing, six years, hating picks. <laughs> and now it's about 50% of what I do. Now right. I'm like way more into like the metal side of things. Like um, when I do the Death Clock gig, which we're doing another one soon. Um, You're gonna be on the road with Chameleon, or no, no, actually Neely. Yeah, Neely's doing, doing thing, it right? instead of Keneally's Keneally. doing the Devon. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's it's Death Clock 2.0 kind of cool. where. Although I, I already did that tour with them back in 2012 uh, for about a couple of weeks when Brian Beller couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, this um, this for that one off, and I don't. I, hum, I hope there's more coming, but so far it's just that one show. Okay. But um, but it's really helped me coming back around to playing all this like more metal and 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 heavier stuff, and any of Ingve's stuff, obviously with with Generation X is all all with a pick and all that. So uh, it's it's cool. I've I've kind of embraced it after having shunned it for so so long mm. that um like oh, my friends from high school are like wait you you play with a pick now like <laughs> weren't you like screaming at me for saying you should do that right so. well it is definitely like kind of uh it's the hipster thing in in bass world right like like if you play with a pick uh then like you can be shunned by all the the jamerson or like all the not, jocko not heads jocko heads yeah right? yeah jocko uh, didn't play with a pick jocko like, didn't play five string it's like yeah so what <laughs> but who cares? Yeah, like like it's another tool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. And then, but Carol Kay did, right? You know? And and you hear that on so on oh, so many like enormous enormous songs that we all know every word to, and you know the 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 sound of her pick, right? You know. And what, what's really amazing is for me, and it, and it comes back to just tone in general. Uh, finding those like and now on YouTube, you can find a ton more soloed bass tracks from from iconic recordings. And I highly recommend everybody go and look those up hmm. because the tone is, for me, almost always completely different than what it sounds like in the mix. 
a lot of times it has a lot more kind of top end on it or a lot more attack from a pick. Or even if they have their tone knob rolled off, there's still like that kind of attack yeah. from, from the pick. That's a really good suggestion, uh, considering uh, for especially for uh, blooming bass players that are out there learning uh, cover tunes or yeah. you know, trying to get it down. Yeah, uh, if, yeah. If you can go and have it soloed. Yeah, and there's and there's plenty of them out there now. It, it used to be you had to know someone like a Joe Travers, right? Who, or or someone who you know had access to those master tapes. But a lot of those have shown up online now. Like there's a bunch of the Queen stuff I know. It's more for vocals or, or guitar or drums. But so you said uh, you said like it was probably about. Around five or six years into playing? Yeah, you, it was early you, 20s. Like, I started when I was 13, 14. Okay. And then it was more when I first moved out here that I started messing around with a pick at all. And that was, you know, 21, 22. Where'd you move from? I was going to school in Chicago. Chicago I went to Northwestern University uh, after growing up in New York. So it's been gradual westward movement. Got it. Um, what, but, yeah. What was that first pick? What were the first couple of picks that you uh, Good tried? question. Um... I, it was more like I kind of just borrowed some from other ones. I've I've kind of always gone with gone with this Altex really? stuff, yeah. And then uh, uh, George Trips, who works for Way Huge, which is under the Dunlop, Dunlop umbrella, yeah. um, helped me get these ones. And I've I've had my own custom picks for uh, twelve years now, or something like that. So yeah, awesome. it's not, no, nothing special. They're just that Altex one millimeter, but uh, yeah. it works for me. And anytime I try someone else's, I'm like. Yeah, this is cool, but you know, <laughs> something about the the tone of those and the way it sticks in my hand, and that's perfect. You so know. you've pretty much been using Altex one millimeter the whole this time. This is my entire career. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because like, I, I'm the I'm the kind of gear person that I find something I like and I stick with it. You yeah. Know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. At least not anymore. I'm not constantly searching for. You know the new cable, or or different type of strings. Or Says the guy like that. that walks through the door. Let me sh- let me see those bases. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I'll try it out, but I don't know if I'll necessarily incorporate it. Right. So right. No, that's cool. Uh, well, that's a. Uh, it's cool that always to hear about somebody's uh, resistance to doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I'll, I'll, I remember as a young, uh, you know, player, just like wanting to be uh, modern and cool because all the cool, I wanted to have a pointy guitar and the modern stuff, yeah, you yeah. know, like Dimebag. I wanted yeah, yeah. like, you know, uh, James Hetfield had the Explorer and all these things. And um, and I would always look at like the Strats and the Les Pauls and be like, yeah. old people guitars. Yeah, it's like grandpa's people, guitars. Yeah. I'll, I'll never be caught dead. Uh-huh. And I'm like, one of my favorite guitars is that like that blue Strat looking mm-hmm. thing over there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like I can't put it down. I'm like, yeah. uh, I'm, well, I'm definitely in my forties now, so I guess yeah. maybe it's okay. But it also comes <laughs> back to, and it's I've been doing a lot of work for Fender recently, and and mm. uh, doing all the, the demos for their new basses and a lot cool. of stuff for Fender Play, which is their instructional side of things. They have this whole app. It's it's actually really amazing. Yeah. Um, it's really it's helping people who just got their first guitar learn how to play a song before they kind of do anything else. So mm. it, it kind of engages people a little bit earlier. Um, but what's so amazing is, you know, Fender have, and Gibson and a lot of these, these companies have kind of stuck to this thing that's worked and reciprocally that's made it so that we want that sound, you know, mm-hmm. like we've heard P and J basses <laughs> on every recording ever. So that sounds like good bass to us and it fits well in the band and fits well in the mix, so that's a desirable tone because we've always heard it. So I, it's it's got to be tough for a newer manufacturer to try something different. 
you know, or someone like Fender or Gibson to try to reinvent themselves. Like, let's try a different pickup. Let's try a different body type. Like, there's going to be backlash, and it's not going to be as popular as the 57 Jazz Bass or 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 the the Strat. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite basses that I have is the Fender Dimension bass, Hmm. which they put out like five or six years ago. I don't know if they're still making them. I don't know if anybody else got one. Hmm. But it's sort of a hybrid between a J-Bass and a Music Man. And it just sounds awesome with a band. Like it's not, you know, mm-hmm. like it's not, it's not reinventing the wheel entirely. It just looks a little different. Those music man sound great too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the other one that you've heard. Right. Basically, it's, yeah. it's either you know that's that's ten percent of all the recordings you've heard, and ninety percent is probably a P or a J. Right. So, so it's just kind of interesting how we we base our own sort of musical ideas. We want to think that they're our own ideas, <laughs> and like I'm not saying they're not, but it comes from somewhere, and it comes from listening to stuff. And like you, you, you have this tone in your head that might be unique to you, but it's based off what you've been listening to, and it's based off what you've heard your whole life. And so that's where playing with a pick kind of came in for me, where I was like, I thought I was so unique, and I was like, no, it's all like I can get a pick tone by using my thumb, like Victor, sure. up and down, like do the Victor Wooten kind of double thumb thing. And I was like, no, I can't. That doesn't sound the same. Not quite. You know. No. And then there's even kind of a groove approach to it that changes things. Um, I really started using it a lot when I was playing with Hanson hmm. because, um, and I, I, I was trying to kind of, once again, coming from the fusion world and being like, okay, I really just need to play bass here. I really just need to lock with the drummer, do that. Uh, I wound up putting heavier strings on to slow myself down a little bit, like, like putting oh, weights on or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then any tune that was straight eighths, just kind of da, 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 I would use the pick for. Hmm. And that's kind of how I trained myself um, and then when I got in the Zappa band and start, started trying to play a lot more complicated stuff with it, I realized I needed to do the same exercises with the pick that I'd done with my fingers for years and years and years. But like, to just get that same kind of right hand mastery over it. I'm still not as smooth as I'd like to be with it. Um, if it came to like doing a solo or doing some improv thing, I'd probably drop the pick and, and go fingers. back to fingers. Yeah. yeah. Just to have that connection. But um, but it's funny how it's 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 one of those things of I had to kind of eat my words of I'm never gonna play with a pick yeah and here I am like where's my pick <laughs> are you oh, would you say are you are you using a pick most of the time on Generation X um yeah actually uh d- it depends but I mean that's that's where I'm covering five different people's stuff yeah but um it depends on what we're doing um. Uh, like about half of Steve Vai's stuff I do, okay. half of Tosin's stuff if it's super picky stuff, but then I have to copy his slap playing, so I have oh. to switch over to that. Um, like you're kind of covering Javier's stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's, a really, that's maybe the toughest one in oh, my mind all, out of all that. By right? far, because okay. not only is it mathy as hell, um, uh, even though I'm a, a big fan and I can, I've done mathy stuff, but they're, they're sort of on another level. But yeah, I have to sort of determine... Um, okay, what's the actual bass part here? Because like it's not because on their records they have some low synthy stuff, but that's almost like too simple. Mm-hmm. And if I just did that, it, it, I, there's almost no point in me being there. But I can't obviously do everything that Javier is doing. Um, so I've had to come up with a sort of a hybrid thing, and that's actually been super fun because when by the time we're we've been doing that stuff for a while and we're just nailing it every night, there's there's a, it's a huge victory feel, right. feeling to that stuff. Um, but then, then all the Nuno stuff is pretty much all with a pick because, um, uh, 
extremes bass player uses a pick a lot. Okay. Um, Zach stuff, we're mostly doing Sabbath covers now. Um, so that's more fingers because Geezer was more of the finger guy. Right. Uh, but that's a whole different kind of tone and approach. Isn't his guy, uh, JD DeServia, isn't he mostly a finger guy too? Uh, I don't know. I've never seen him. Um, but I've, I think I've heard that. I've only like maybe seen. I know Blasco plays with a pick with uh, that's true. with Ozzy from yeah. time to time, but it's probably both, you know. And then Steve stuff, it's a little bit of both. Ingve is entirely pick, mm. um, and then the other kind of like group stuff that we do, I, I decide. So that's what's actually what it's come down to is it's cool that it's yet another tool in my at my disposal, right? You know, and it it's helped me be able to kind of sure I can do that, sure I can do this. You so know? so the, I, what I'm hearing is bass players out there. Uh, that are uh, working on your your, your repertoire. Uh, don't discount the pick because you might not get a badass gig like because Zappa plays play Zappa or yeah. Generation Axe or any of these other type of high profile gigs if you can't be uh, versatile. Yeah. In the scenario. Yeah, and that's I mean, and that's sort of that's sort of been my whole career. Uh, and, and it sounds like I'm kind of tooting my own horn a little bit that I'm like, oh, I can play any type of music. But it's more that I haven't ever really specialized in everything. I've sort mm. of, because I listen to everything. Um, so I'm always like the jazz guy who's playing the metal gig or the metal guy who's playing the jazz gig or the <laughs> pop guy on the funk gig or the funk guy, you know. Um, bass player covering an eight-string guitar part. Yeah, exactly, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Which is fine, but at the same time, I, I get kind of jealous of the guys um, who can like nail salsa to the wall mm. or they're the best blues bass player you've ever heard. Because they've never done anything else. Like that's that's actually really cool to me. I, I can't say that 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 necessarily um, that what I do works for everybody. You know, it's it's I'm just happy that I can do it. And the one of the most common questions I get is, oh, what's what's your favorite music to play? And my answer is, whatever I'm not currently playing. Yeah, like I, literally, I've got this laid down, so I, I want something else. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it sounds like I'll never be happy, but it's more that I'm constantly happy and just kind of shifting that around, you know, That's like cool. when, when I do the Generation X thing, I get, I miss playing some real simple pop tunes. Um, when I play a bunch of like pop tune gigs, I miss taking bass solos. When I'm taking too many bass solos, I miss pl- just Man. backing up a shredder, you know? Yeah, I could, I could lose my mind pretty quick having to, uh, it, it seems like a dream gig to like in some ways, uh, to be on that stage with all those great players in Generation X, but mm-hmm. then, but then I think about the and I've talked to you about like the heavy lifting that it actually is. Oh yeah, be- between you, the bass player, or the you and the drummer and yeah. the keyboardist, like that are just covering everybody's thing. Yeah, it's, it's like that's it's three, the hardest I've ever had three to, to five hours. Yeah, like three hours is the gig. But it, it's almost four. It's almost like four it's hours. three uh, three forty five is what we were doing pretty regularly on and the last tour. And then like your sound check or your rehearsal, usually at least like, three hours. So it's I'm basically playing bass for almost eight hours a day, like like it, like it's a job. So you know? what the hell do you do? You must do something to like uh, prepare or warm up or take care of yourself for that. Um, there's a there's a ton of stretching. Uh, yeah. I, I do that for sure. Um, like forearms and, and yeah arms yeah and, and just just exercises. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've got these these finger exercises I do every day. Um, I'll hold shows for 30 seconds or something just to be like, let me just do this real quick. And mm-hmm. the, the toughest thing is that we start with toast and stuff oh, <laughs> on that dude. gig. Yeah, so we come out of the gate. We, we do right. whatever our opening song <laughs> is, whether it's foreplay or, or whatever we were doing um, last time. But um, it, uh, 
Yeah. So you have to. I, I learned early on that I had to do some sort of warm ups when I when I first started gigging a lot back in college. Uh, my arm would freeze up, like literally, like like cramp up and like imagine. this claw shape. Two to three songs in, and I wouldn't be able to play. So I had to figure out something to do to fix that. Um, I also got this product called Wrist Grips. Hmm. Um, they're like these compression bands that are they're made for musicians. Okay. Uh, and I have pretty bad shoulder problems, unfortunately. So I have to kind of constantly deal with that. And it's, I dislocated it years ago. So it's always kind of shifting around in the spot. Um, but it's really helped. The, I don't entirely understand the science behind compression bands, but I think it's kind of like squeezing a garden hose where it gets the blood to shoot out a little bit quicker into your fingers, hmm. which you're using more. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's this great company called Wrist Grips. They, they sent me these, these things. They, they actually look really cool, too. Uh, and it really just helps for, for some of those gigs. My, my, my fingers aren't nearly as tired. Do they double as a sweatband? Uh, no, unfortunately. But I, oh. did, I did modify mine so that it holds a pick. Oh, that's it's, awesome. It's actually pretty cool because then it's right here rather than like on a mic stand or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. right here on my wrist. Wow. So I just reach out and grab it real quick. It's like and, a little utility pick. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I should have patented it before <laughs> I sent it to them. But I, I have all sorts of little ideas like that. But that, that's one in particular. Just like having... Because that's... Especially for someone like me who's constantly, constantly switching. Um, you see guitar players putting their pick in their mouth all the time and right. all that. That sort of works, but it's also a little gross. A and bit uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like, but then it's like, but where else does it go? You know, like, you, 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 uh, what happens when you drop one? You need to have one available. Dude, the guitar um, players that kill me are the ones that that are are, are not only playing uh, so eloquently and and hybrid picking because I'm starting to kind of like mm-hmm. unlock this concept yeah, of yeah. the thing, and I'm I'm not anywhere near it. Yeah, but, yeah. But I'm I'm around all these players that are everybody's hybrid picking now it's yeah. like it's like everybody yeah. was kung fu fighting now they're all hybrid picking yeah yeah um but uh but the but the ones that can just kind of like tuck it away yep and and like but then have it back have it back nowhere. it's like yeah. i don't like where does it go yeah. like i mean my my fingers don't i don't know but yeah. so i'm i'm i might need a lesson from some magic yeah talk person. to jamie kime he, he does is a lot he the of one? yeah he's a big hybrid picker guy and, and um, is he t- is he, can he tuck the pick away I to think use so yeah like I'll, I'll see him suddenly just like only using the other three while still holding it or something wow. like that it's crazy yeah what was speaking of of techniques that i talked crap about and then had to embrace uh i was <laughs> never much of a tapper uh-huh i i never really liked the tone of it um, as much as I wor- worshipped Victor Wooten early on, mm. uh, I learned his slapping stuff. I didn't really learn the tapping stuff because I was like, I'm not going to be in a Flectones cover band. Right. Um, and then uh, to the point where I, 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 don't, I don't say many negative things on social media, but I feel like at some point I said something about how bass tapping just did not sound good to my ears. <laughs> Flash forward a few years later, I get the gig with Paul Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> and have to learn a bunch of Mr. Big Billy Sheehan stuff oh, where man. he's tapping like crazy. Yeah. Uh, scarified. You know, the Racer X tune has sure. that little tappy thing in the middle. Um, so I had to eat my words yet again. Of uh, <laughs> Here's something I'm <laughs> never going to do. And I think it's terrible. And then now I'm, I'm Mr. Tapping guy. Um, but it's it was actually great. It's yet another thing I can now add in. Um, I haven't really used it too much since then. None of the guys in Generation X really need me to. Um, and that's fine, but I, I kind of, I mess around with it more when I'm writing, 
you know, it's, it's yet again of like, I had to eat my own stubbornness. You uh, found some enjoyment in it. Yeah, totally. Too. You found you some know? musicality in yeah. it for yourself. Yeah. And that the, we were, we were talking when I first got here about just setup, you know, the, the, the way a bass is set up. And that was my main issue with tapping was that I hit so hard with my right hand that to suddenly have there be no right hand really like you're, mm. you're just kind of just pressing on the fret instead of yanking the string to get it to speak it's the, the it's like a third of the volume of of when i'm actually playing hmm. so i had to have a, a different bass that was set up with the action much lower and then i also learned to use compression where anytime i switch to tapping i hit the compressor just to boost up the uh the the input level was that like your initiation into using compression in that way kind of yeah. yeah i i i it's either that or slapping is the other one oh, because yeah. um my once again because my i my finger style is is just loud that that was how i learned was just to like just yank the hell out of the string and that's how you get kind of get tone right. that, that works for me it doesn't that's work a for everybody thing for sure oh yeah um good god you've watched you just watch that guy like, yeah just yank it's, it's like i mean it's it's i don't even it's like I think they call it the hand of doom or whatever, like yeah, yeah. because it's just like his hand is so yeah, like it's so overly gun- active, yeah, yeah, overly active, yeah, to the point. Well, that's that's bad too because you don't you know, like conservation of motion is a thing, you know, right. like especially for a bass player because your repetitive stress syndrome can become a thing too. You know, we have to mm. play the same damn thing over and over and over again. So if your right hand is working harder than it needs to, or your left hand, uh, that can that can be a problem, but. Um, he's gets a pass. He's Black Sabbath. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all, all, all those older dudes, it's it's fine. But like for, for me, especially as I'm getting older, my body cannot do what it, it used to be able to do. He's also not trying to do an eight-hour set. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? um, and he knows those tunes and and all that. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it it became like this whole dilemma. So then, when I'm I'm playing a song with a pick and suddenly I need to tap where the hell does that pick go Mm. and where does it come back from (laughs) right when I'm done with that tapping thing? Do I tuck it in my hand? Do I put like a little piece of string around it? You know, I never really figured it out. Like there were times, yeah, I would tuck it in here, but then as you're trying to pull it back out from the middle of your palm, it falls down on the floor. So you're tapping uh, primarily with your your index finger? Yeah, usually. Because like us guitar players, we would just, at least I I hold the pick and and your Mm -hmm. your middle middle finger becomes the thing. I should maybe try that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really think of that. I mean, that's but. what that's what I see uh, most done, and I've I've thought. I mean, I have a couple of friends that actually tap with the pick, which right. I, which I kind of mostly hate. Yeah. Um. It, well, it's, it's, it's a different cool, sound. Like every once in a while, if you're doing it, if it's like a, a small little run, but if you're yeah, doing yeah. all your tapping with the pick, yeah. it's kind of awkward. Well, uh, Frank Zappa used to like he sort of. I, I don't want to say he invented that, but he was the first time I ever really heard that. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was he was always more any of his technique stuff was in service of composing on the spot. Like, all of his solos were, like, you know, they're not the most technically amazing thing. Like, mm-hmm. that, that was what was so amazing about playing with Dweezil, was that Dweezil could play circles around his dad. You know, Dweezil could play right. circles around Eddie Van Halen, you know, because right. uh, he learned all that stuff. And that's, like, he's this guitar technician mm-hmm. that can just recreate anything he's playing synthesizer lines on guitar that were never meant to be played Super you know cool. play the damn black page you know um uh but frank on some of those like shut up and play your guitar albums and and some of that you hear like this weird like kind of middle easterny sounding totally. flurry thing and that's that's frank tapping with the pick 
oh. on something, and it's not really in time and and all that, but it's just so damn cool. Is he kind of getting in between the frets a little bit, like doing slide type stuff? Yeah, yeah. I wish I knew an exact tune to to tell you to go listen to, okay. and I don't. We should call Keneally or something. I know. Um, but uh, it's it's when you hear it, you know it because it has this really kind of bright, ringy tone, like you can almost hear this the pick getting in between the windings on the string, yeah, and getting real kind of like bright and pingy. And uh, and it's really cool because it's it gets all like Bulgarian all of a sudden out of nowhere on these on these big open solos that he had, and it was um, it's cool because it's it's a different tool once again you know. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get a, a a guitar pick from like a show or like did it, was there no. anybody that threw one out or anything? No, nah, I never really. Had well, much you're a bass player too, though. So yeah. like the early early years, you're probably like, eh. I'm like, I don't want this. Get yeah. get away from me. Yeah. Did you just hit me with a pick? You can have like, this kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Now and now I keep several extra just to fling out because I know sure. that that's that's a big deal. And actually, that's that's what's kind of cool. And even doing this and and having people ask me to send them picks and all that, I'm like, really? You want mine? But like, it's th- there's this sort of a baseball card aspect it's to totally it. Totally a baseball. Card. You know, and these ones you're showing me here, like the. the, the it, there's an art form to it, even, yeah. which is kind of cool. It makes me feel like mine are boring <laughs> in comparison, but they, they're, they're tools. You they're know, tools they, they just work. That, uh, that you can give away to people, which right. is the cool thing. What, that's ultimately, in a lot of ways, is what Dunlop has uh, kind, of, kind of helped along. I mean, and Fender mm-hmm. uh, in the early days with Celluloid and uh, what, any of the other early uh, Celluloid ones, the D'Andreas or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's something that's inexpensive kind of keepsake right. piece of memorabilia right you know uh and, and it's like uh it's almost to me it's become the cooler thing than an autograph or any i mean like nowadays nowadays it's all about selfies or whatever i guess right, too. Right, but, right. but a guitar pick um just it just like it just makes sense and it's like this, they held this yeah they especially if you get one from the show yeah that that you know they used that they, yeah. that they, they rocked out and they flung it flung yeah, it out yeah. and maybe almost took your eye out yeah and like, ah. <laughs> yeah that that one almost I almost um, halfway blind because of that yeah. situation. You know, I can but. clone Zach Wild from the DNA <laughs> on this pick. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and and then uh, he'll just be my own personal ultra mega pentatonics player <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the corner, yeah. just walking around your apartment. Yeah, like, a, a mini Zach. Yeah, <laughs> that's rad. Uh, when you so you started with uh, with Dweezil. Dweezil was your gig right out of, out of Hanson. Yeah, uh, basically, I, I after I moved here, I did a bunch of auditions, um, got a, a few smaller things, and then got got the gig with Hanson in '03, and toured with them from '03 to '06, which was just amazing. You know, mm. um, back back when uh, huge, few, yeah. I mean, well, it, it wasn't when they were enormous, enormous. It was when they were doing about two thousand seat places. Oh, okay. But still, uh, playing for a crowd where everyone knows every word. <laughs> is is kind of powerful like regardless of what you think of their music i actually really like their music mm-hmm. um it's not all umbop like they have some really really well-written songs they're the fact that they've been harmonizing since they were like fetuses you That's know amazing. like it's incredible when they all open their mouths together and we're and we were all playing like you feel like you're part of this choir it was it was really amazing um took me all over the world t- taught me to tour which is kind of more the story you know, because mm. um, especially these days now uh, that tours are happening less often and uh, there's sort of a, a, an imbalance of supply and demand between work and people to do the work. There's not as much work as there used to be like, or, or it doesn't pay as well. Mm. Um, so it becomes more about, OK, who do you know 
isn't going to lose their damn mind when we go when, when we get on a bus or when we're sitting in a in, a, in an airport for twenty hours, oh. or or all this stuff. Yeah, it's right. it's all the it's all the completely non glamorous parts of touring and traveling and all that stuff that you have to kind of learn how to do and mm-hmm. and be okay with and and take care of yourself. You know, um, be able to cut loose and have a few drinks and and here and there, but still make lobby call. And right. still make your flight and, and all that. And it's, it's a very weird balance to, 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 to find. And it kind of goes back and forth. But, uh, but when you find the people who are great musicians, but they're, they're missing flights regularly. I've never missed a single flight. Like that, like <laughs> even saying that out loud gives me heart palpitations. Right. Like the idea of missing a flight for work. Oh, driving nuts. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm a pretty calm guy in general. If I'm in the back of an Uber on the way to the airport and I think I'm going to be late... I'm losing my damn mind, yeah. you know? So, so that, that sort of alone, just have, just being proven as a road person, you know, regardless of whatever instrument or talent level, even that really kind of helps to a certain extent. And then I got the audition for Dweezil, um, and never thought I'd get it, but, uh, I had been the biggest Zappa fan you could literally find, you know, ever since 15 or so I'd, I had, I think I owned 40 of his 60 albums. Wow. At that point, yeah. Um, so I knew the stuff in and out, and um, I knew Joe Travers just from other stuff around town. This other bass player, Mark Meadows, who was sort of a mentor of mine when I first came out here, um, introduced me to him. And like Joe had been to my house and seen all my Zappa CDs, and then they needed to to do auditions for that. And so he called me, and I, I went up and did it, and somehow got it, uh, which was which was amazing. But what was really funny was me and Joe being so very familiar with the material was pissed off the rest of the guys in the band because Dweezil would be like, okay, we're going to learn Inca Roads tonight or this other song. And me and Joe would just start playing it. Or even if I didn't know the <laughs> bass line, I could sing you the song. I could sing you the words. Right. So the other guys had to go home and listen to it for the first time in their life. And wow. Joe and I are like, so do you want the 78 version or the 84 version? Would you want Vinny on drums? Do you want, you know, everybody else is like, shut up. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. They were, they were so mad. <laughs> um, but it, it, it really helped. And, and I think, um, I think that that's why that band was so good. Like right away. Um, especially after we had done the, the initial bunch of, of recordings of rehearsals and stuff. We did that first tour with Steve Vai and Terry Bozio and Napoleon Murphy Brock. And then, um, and we got the Grammy and put out the DVD of the very first tour ever, which is always like, I wish we had done it of the second tour ever, because by uh, then we were like such a crack unit. It, it was ridiculous um, when we had Ray White in the band and we were, it was like around mm-hmm. 09, 2010, we had the original lineup of the band and then Ray White singing and we were doing everything at these like blazing tempos and playing the song called G-Spot Tornado, which was Frank mm-hmm. record, Frank wrote for the Synclavier and was never really meant to be played by human beings. Um, really? Yeah. They, okay. they, they did it with, uh, with an, uh, an orchestral ensemble called the Yellow Shark, um, which is cool, but we had to do it with a rock band and uh, there's a bunch of... The bass part luckily isn't that tough. But um, but we were doing it at these ridiculous tempos and stuff, and and I know we recorded a lot of those shows. So if Dweezil ever hears this, I hope that he digs some of that up and puts it out in some way or another. Oh, because because cool. we were just a, I'm, I'm sure the band is, is still great uh, and and has great years since then. But of my time in the band, that was kind of really I, I we were I think we were all just such a such a tight Apex unit. We moment. were all getting along like it was it was kind of a really cool moment. Of like, wow, we are we're like, and then fans would be like, oh, you guys are better than Frank ever was, and I'd be like, shut up, 
You're like, just please don't even say that's that. That's just a weird thing to say. Yeah, because it, it really kind of is because we're it's it's a different product. Yeah. You know, Frank had an album to, to promote at that time, and Frank was a developing artist. where We were a retrospective. Yeah. You know, so of course you're going to like the overall show better because we're going to do all of your favorite songs, not just the stuff from the most recent record. Right. You know? Well, yeah, and that, from a fa- I can see from a fan's point of view where uh, this would be a... a, a uh, best case scenario type of thing all right. these years later. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and especially because you're going to get w- a curated thing. Right. Whereas Frank would just come on and you got what you got. Yeah. And like, that was where it was at. But it's, it, yeah. And f- like, I think we mentioned it earlier, like Frank's a little more, maybe unhinged a little bit, like a little more like free floating. I mean, this was something Keneally was, and I were talking about, he was like, you know, Frank had this, uh, this kind of like, otherworldly ethereal thing that he could throw down mm-hmm. with uh or or as Dweezil might be a more accomplished more stu- studied thing uh because but that's because he's come retroactively right. looking back on it yeah, and, it's he, a matter and of he recreating. studied all these other things he studied Van Halen and all these other right. things and mastered all that yeah and then went back to his dad stuff um and so it's kind of a, almost a cleaner approach to the whole thing right in, in some ways yeah like um but but what was amazing was like uh, Dweezil was on such a different level with the guitar playing that he could pull off the black page. But then we'd play like a song like Cosmic Debris or one of these like kind of simpler kind of bluesier tunes because Frank loved his R and B and his blues and his doo wop. And Dweezil would have problems wrapping his head around ostensibly simpler things. But it's because he had kind of leapfrogged over it. Mm. To be able to play the Black Page and Eruption and and all this stuff, you know, so he would he would he would have. Um, it was really interesting to see because you know uh, he could he could hang with the rest of these like crack musicians that we had in the band. Like uh, Jamie Kime calls us ninjas. He was like, we had a band of ninjas at the time, and I was like, yeah, we kind of did. With Sheila Gonzalez on sax and Billy Holting on, on percussion, oh, it was yeah. just ridiculous. Like I, I learned more about soloing from all all of playing with those guys than um, and Aaron Arts on keys. Um, uh, than I have from any bass player, you know, just how to, especially Billy, like the way he can like, just, he starts off a solo so small, he gets the entire crowd right here in the palm of his hand, mm. takes them on a journey. I'm like, I want to know how to do that. You know, I'm not trying to slap their faces off kind of thing. Like I, right. I want to like be able to create something every time. Draw. Mm. That's a, a total uh, talent to, to, to be able to take that spot and draw people way in. Yeah. And it's like, well, you see a lot of times the drummer, a really good drum solo, if if you're one of those people that are actually into and stay, and stay yeah, present for the drum solo. Yeah, you're not going to get a drink. Yeah. yeah, or a bass solo, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You find some way to, to pull pull the crowd in, pull right. the audience in. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, 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 it's kind of the same as songcraft. Like, and it's what I was saying before about when Frank would take his solos. It was an on-the-spot composition. It was not a pre-planned thing. He's, mm. not, he's not playing some lick that he had been practicing all week, you know, um, and... And to this day, as much as I, I don't like saying kind things about Jamie Kai, <laughs> uh, I've never heard that dude really repeat himself. You know, really? I've, I've played with him thousands of times, heard him take thousands of solos. It's never, oh, there's Jamie riff number 42 slash B. You know, it's always like, that was something new. And that's, that's always kind of, and Sheila too, and Billy too. Like, and that's sort of like the... Uh, that's the approach that I take when, when I'm soloing and even just improvising. Like, I, I never really want to... Th- there are times with, with Generation X, I, take, I get one little bass solo section mm-hmm. on one of the Nuno tunes, 
and I, I would kind of tank it some nights because I'm trying to, it's, it's always the same length and all that. And I would try to make something new happen instead of doing what I probably should have done and just had something to fall back on, you know, have like, here's the riff that I end it with, which is always cool. It's just really hard for me to wrap my head around that. That's a, well, it's that what I was going to say is that's, it, in my in my, my earliest ideas of what a guitar solo was, I thought that 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 people were just making it up anyway. Right. Like, and I think that that maybe that was maybe the original intent. Right. You know, was like, and and it's so improvised to, solo. to hear that Frank and the band were, were uh, re- doing that uh, yeah. early on, and then and then now everybody's going back and trying to learn the thing that they were just came coming up with on a uh, on the spot. Yeah. That that's but kind of a funny thing, but like Tweezel definitely takes liberties. Oh yeah, uh, and so does the band, obviously now too. Right, They're and not that trying was to verbatim. Yeah, everything. yeah, and that's I mean, and you kind of have to because, and that, that's what's that's what's so amazing about about Frank Zappa's music is that uh, there's the ridiculously composed section where we're playing in eleven eight and playing you know seven tuplets where you put seven <laughs> notes over one beat what? kind of thing. And yeah, exactly stuff you've never even heard of happening yeah. anywhere else. Five tuplets, quintuplets, seven tu- septuplets, eleven tuplets. I don't even know how to say that. Like the black page is full of that stuff where it's like you, there's a bunch of notes with a tie over it and it says 11 and that's supposed to be 11 <laughs> notes in the space of one beat. And, but it's mathematically it makes sense. Why are we so stuck on two, three and four in right. terms of subdivision? Why don't we get into more prime numbers? You know, um, because it sounds weird. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so, so in some, but then Frank's stuff also then gets to, the big wide open one, maybe two chord solo, mm. you know, and every night when you go back and especially as a Zappa fan, you listen to the different versions, even from the same tour of, um, of solo sections from Inca Rhodes or, or Florentine Pogan. And each one is like a completely different vibe, a completely different thing. Like mm. this one's more rocking, this one's more introspective, you know, and that's what's so amazing is that okay, this thing needs to be, this part of this tune needs to be nailed to the dots on the paper and it has to be exactly right or else Frank is going to be really, really mad. But then you also have to open your damn ears up once we get to this thing and go with them and kind of listen to what's happening and, and create something that happened with the drummer and create some texture underneath it. And that's, uh, I, I, it's hard to imagine any other gig. The Generation X thing does to a, a, a certain extent just because I'm working with so many different artists. But um, it's hard to imagine a single gig encompassing all of that. Right. You know, like the super technical nail this thing that we've rehearsed and then have something brand new happen. Be whimsical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be emotive in the moment. Think of what happened that day and you bring that into it. Yeah. You know, and that's... uh, I mean, that's like... That's the perfect. That's the perfect oh dojo. Yeah, it for, was. For it was amazing. any musician yeah. to get that opportunity to like have to ha- uh, cultivate the discipline to stay in 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 point with all your eleven tuplets and yeah. all this other yeah, stuff yeah. that's very very composed. But then and then, and then turn around and, and drop it all. Jam on A for a long yeah. ass time. Yeah. Well, it's actually one of the things that last time that Dweezil and I hung out. Uh, he, I think it is it the the black napkins. Or dirty napkins, black napkins, black napkins. Yeah. That's like uh, a two chord blues tune, kind of. Yeah, so it was like Dweezil was trying to illustrate. He's like, yeah, Frank. Sometimes he just liked to, he just wanted to, con- he just a vamp over like two chords. He was mm-hmm. very, he had, and he would just play forever. Yeah, but he's like, here, like here's the the two chords and uh, and, and black napkins, and um, like, oh, I know those chords, and he's like, yeah, just, just now, now I'll play them here. 
check it out. Okay, it's pretty interesting. And then I would kind of maybe just naturally do something like this. Mm-hmm. So, but now and he draws the song up. And he's like, now listen to the phrasing yeah. that he actually uses on this. Yeah. And just like, who is this person? Yeah, this, it's, he's kind it's of alien. So you know? unique. Like, yeah, totally. And it's and it kind of comes from him, from Frank not being that good at guitar. Ultimately, like it was like you could hear him kind of struggle with the instrument a little bit. Sure. But then because of that, something else would fall out of it. And and that's and that was what was so interesting about mm. seeing Dweezil like try to uh, uh, capture <laughs> what his dad was doing when he was almost too good. Yeah, I was going to say, because Dweezil's a good guitar player. Yeah, exactly. He's I mean, and not to... to say that Frank's a bad no, one. No, I, like, I get what you're saying. But it's, it's just, it's different different worlds. And, and Frank, you know, stopped practicing after a little while. Well, and... I think, I mean, I don't, I don't, don't, don't kill me if I'm totally wrong <laughs> on this, everybody. But I, like, I mean, I think that in some ways that that's kind of part of what, like, I we uh, love about um somebody like Jimi Hendrix, like, let's say, like, Jimi Hendrix is like, he, yes, was he good at, at playing guitar? Yeah, but he, he, like, when you go back and you listen in comparison, especially retroactively, yeah. he, he was, like, pretty good, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and the fact that the fact that he did a lot of things the first time, he was, like, first right. to market. Absolutely. We, we give him all the, the praise. Tony Iommi, mm-hmm. like, not, not, like, in the early days, the things that he's known for, yeah. you know, pr- pretty good, pretty good. You wouldn't yeah, go, yeah. oh, my God, he's the best guitar yeah, 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 player, yeah. and he was so clean and perfect, and right. no, but it was the guy, that was their individual struggle yeah. with the instrument. That things that fell out, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Frank's, you know, kind of falls in that, like you say, falls in that category. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the. This is getting into the young whippersnappers kind of conversation, <laughs> but like because you know, it, it's the same reason we see all these, you know, thirteen-year-old kids who can play Teen Town at four times the original tempo, mm. and they're nailing all of it. It's because they have access to it. It's because you can get on YouTube and type in fastest bass player ever. Like sure. I had to read Bass Player Magazine, find out about Victor Wooten, go to the CD store, get a Flectone CD, spend my hard-earned $15, $20 on this thing that I'd never heard. You had no chance to hear it mm. before it. Tr- hear it, try to understand sonically what he's doing with his hands without seeing it. I had to then spend $50 on the VHS of Victor Wooten's instructional oh, video <laughs> uh, and to see, oh, okay, that's what his thumb is doing. That's how he's making these noises. So you had to sort of fill in the gaps your own way first. Mm-hmm. You had to go, okay, I want to be able to do what I'm hearing. I don't know how they're doing it, but this is how I'll do it, you know. Uh, and now these damn kids <laughs> can get on YouTube and go, how is Victor Wooten doing that? How is Les Claypool doing that? You know, uh, and it's, it kind of takes the mystery out and it takes that individuality out of it a little bit because instead of having you know everyone has their influences you know none of us grew sure. up in a cave um at least i didn't uh but but there's it's it's that mystery of of getting from here to there instead of just following exactly what they did mm, i like you know? this i like this conversation because it there's one of my favorite uh contemplations is uh is the concept of um i forget who said it who 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 was the person like the might have been Osho or Alan Watts or something. I think it's Alan Watts. Mm-hmm. I think he. I think he. Said, he, he, t- he has like a, a whole discussion about the quicker you get to a place, uh, the le- the kind of the less it me like the less um, impactful impact. the, le- yeah. the, the 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 less you appreciate. Right. Right. So like if uh, it's like if it takes you a month to get somewhere, you're gonna really appreciate arriving. Right. Right. You're gonna really and then when you get there, it's like your focus has been to be there. 
And so, so, so there's a thing, but, uh, the moment, see, like he was, and he was talking about this in the sixties and like, he's like, now we have air travel all around the world. Right. Like you can be uh, in Tokyo tomorrow, but you know, by, by this time tomorrow, no problem, you know? And, and, and you can, you don't have the same appreciation yeah. for the people that had to cross seas, right? Yeah. You know, like you just, yeah. you just will never or, know or, that. Or getting the horse drawn wagon or something. Right. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about it, um, in the relation, because I'm really stuck on this fractal patch, right? Like it's Mr. Gilmore lead. Okay. Like it's David Gilmore's like ultimate tone, yeah, yeah. man. The, and I'm just like, and I've got a thing. strat sitting here. Yep. Like I'm yep. like, oh, like I feel kind of like a, a douche, like you know, <laughs> for for just being able to flip the switch and be like, like I don't have my no pedals. Yeah. I don't have anything. I didn't earn this yeah. tone. Yeah, you didn't have to figure out what his amp settings were. I just had like, to have, you had someone else tell you. Yeah, yeah. I just had to have uh, enough money to buy the thing that, that, too. that did it. So it's a, a flick of a switch. Now, am I grateful? I totally am. Of course. Um, but I'm an, I'm an older guy. I'm not a young kid that just learned it off of YouTube. Right. Although I am using YouTube now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we all are. Like, and, you, and you have to. Like, it's, it's dumb to not use the tools at hand. Sure. I'm just... I'm just wondering if it's kind of watering down the originality to a certain extent because totally. it's so hard to not just sound like that person that you watch the video of, you know? Right. Um, and it's exactly what you're saying. It's the same thing of the whole binge watching world. Yeah. Like I, there are entire seasons of shows that I've watched that I can't tell you a damn thing about because I watched it in four days. Uh, if you wait a week in between each episode on Tuesday after you watch it on Friday, you're like, so did he kill that guy or did he not kill that? Guy? Like you're still yeah. thinking about it. So by the time you get to it, you remember it better. Like I, I can't really, you know, um, that there's a lot of those shows, like especially these like kind of murder shows and stuff. Like they all kind of blend together because you gobbled them up and you don't, your brain doesn't have time to really kind of process it in the same way that, I get really mad at myself when I'm learning songs the day of a gig or the day of a rehearsal, because if I did it the night before, I'm going to wake up singing that song. It's, it's been kind of processed. So right. like sleep and that processing time really, really, really. And it's, it's something I get more and more mad at myself now because I've now realized it, and yet I'm still not really implementing it. Um, it needs to marinate a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, you can't expect your brain to like, come up with something that you listened to twice two hours ago you know right. like if if you listen to it twice last night and you're going to bed thinking about oh if actually if i play that on the third fret instead of the eighth fret and stuff like that you know like that sort of that process helps it just just all sink in and, and you're going to be a lot better at it the next day in the same way that um I hate going home from a rehearsal to have to learn new songs. Like I always try to preload all my work so that I can go home from, from a rehearsal for generation X or, or for, for death clock, which is coming up and think about what happened that day. And like, okay, what was I having problems with rather than like, Oh God, I have to learn these three new tunes, you know, and then not play them that well tomorrow <laughs> and all that. Yeah. So it's that there's, I think what we're saying is that the time of letting your brain process these things and think about how to make it better or how to recreate something that you're hearing isn't something that should be skipped just because it can be, Yeah, you know, like it's, it, we need to kind of trust ourselves and, and know that, you know, um, in the same way that I'm, I'm the first guy to, to Google the answer to any sort of science question that people have. Sure. So there's no mystery anymore. 
Like you can't sit here and be like, why is the sky blue? And, and come up with your own version. You can ask Siri and she'll tell you exactly why the sky is blue. That, and, and that there, and it lies, that's a really interesting discussion all in itself too, is like, uh, should, should we always remove the mystery or should, because, you know, uh, because we can. Yeah. Just because we can. Just because someone we, else did. Yeah. Yeah. Should, should, should we uncover it? Do we, do we have to be kind of quote unquote so greedy yeah. to know all the things but, and, and then oh, so quickly forget them too? Yeah. Because then you're not really experiencing it. I almost. have to say, there's been, I, I'm trying to think of one now, but I know that there's like three or four things that I've Googled like probably more than three times. Right. And I know that I should it, know the answer to. But it never to, set in. But it yeah. never set into. Yeah. Because I didn't need to retain it. Yeah. Now I've got the phone, which is an extension of me. Yeah. I don't really need to. And, that, and that's a beautiful thing to begin with. I, I, I am all about everyone having all the information. Like that, we're living in a, in a, in a miracle world of that. So no mystery. Know? Yeah. But there needs to be some, you know, in this, like, where the, would you, where would you put the, where would you leave the mystery? Yeah. Every, everyone's got to have their line, but it's, it's more just like, just allow yourself to be creative, allow yourself to kind of come up with your own solution to a musical problem, to a science problem, to what happened on this episode of true detective to, you know, video games is a big one too. You can play, you can come up with against these puzzles in video games there is some nerd who online has already made the walkthrough and shown you exactly how to overcome that thing. Mm -hmm. But if you just go do that, you're not really experienced, you know, you're not experiencing what that game was supposed to be and all that. And the, it's the, the act of troubleshooting the the having to, to problem solve. And like, like you were talking about having to lift, go and you know, first problem was you heard about a, a bass player named Victor Wooten that is supposed to be godly. Yeah. So, First problem is getting to the CD store, finding the CD. Yeah, you know, or tape for that matter, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, we are old enough. Yeah, uh, and and uh, and and then trying to sort out, uh, like, do I like this enough to even try to like figure out what's going on with the thing? Yeah, uh, and you know, just it, there's an element that like there are a couple different issues like in trying to f sort out the problem when you have to like stop and be humbled. And look at a thing way too long yep. until you finally see the solution. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's something just like one you you win in that in oh, a absolutely. way that because there's this resistance you you can't figure you can't sort it out can't sort it out can't so can't yeah. get the lick can't get the lick. Yeah. Oh wait, finally there it is. Suddenly it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I love teaching is that th those little victories for any of my students are kind of my own, mm. where where they they suddenly they walk in and they they weren't able to do something and now they are. That's that's actually really amazing, and the other thing that I fully embrace, as much as I have a very a pretty specific style of teaching and a pretty specific style of bass playing, there is more than one way to get to wherever you got. Mm. You know, there Brian Beller and my relationship is kind of a perfect example of that. He and I are vastly different players, even though we play a lot of the same music. Sure, he does the whole three finger thing, which blows my freaking mind. Yeah, I don't even understand. I, I I I do, and I wish I had started like that. But I'm two fingers because, and that gets back to music is divided by two, so I can keep track of which sixteenth note I'm on, whether it's yeah. my my index finger or my middle finger. That makes sense to me. His, but then you get into three note things, and he's ripping it up with his three fingers, and I'm like, I can't do that. Where's my pick? <laughs> right. Um, but it's it's. Uh, but at the same time, he he doesn't do as much with a pick. He does more now, but he he was never really that guy. So, uh, or, or when I pick up other people's bases and their action is so much lower than mine and their, their tone is different and they're, and they're playing really lightly with their right hand, but they're incredible. 
you know like i i can't argue with the fact that the, the music coming out of them is incredible and that they can they can do whatever i can do or more so it's that just because victor wooten did it that way in this video doesn't mean that you're that it's not that that's not going to work for you you know like there, there's a lot of that stuff that i'm like like the three finger thing i'm like i've tried it i can do little flurries of triplets but if i'm using it in any sort of creative way I, i'm just it's just not going to happen well i I guess you know certain things uh, feel no- normal or natural right. to, to to some and and unnatural to others based on you yep. know where you come from and how you've approached the instrument. But like you try you try it on, you're like ah, that's just like maybe too much work for me. Yeah, you know to be honest, because like the the truth is, could could you figure if you had to do everything in three fingers? You might be able to sort it you, out. You wouldn't see me for six months, but yeah, yeah like you know, I, I would, I, yeah, I would, I would make myself work it out just like anybody else would, but. I am accomplishing those things without having to do that. Yeah. And, and vice versa, you know, like, so, so like, yeah. So what's, what's the issue? It's like, uh, uh, you know, you know, Andy James, I know of him. Yeah. yeah great guitar player. He's a good friend. Uh, I remember early, early days when we were, uh, filming him at EMG TV and putting him up, uh, on there and he doesn't use his pinky a whole lot, mm-hmm. but he shreds everybody. Yeah. You're telling him he's wrong into the dust. Yeah, right? totally. And, uh, and like, I remember there being like, like literally like a YouTube comment, like what a wanker or whatever. He doesn't use his pinky. And like Andy responded directly was like, uh, I'm, there's no notes that I, that I'm not playing that I want to play. Yeah. So yeah. I think we're good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It's like, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I was like, Hey, you know, yeah. it's like, it's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, all the notes I need to get played. Yeah. I get played. And that, and that's kind of exactly what I'm saying is just like how, just because it worked for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you and vice versa. You know, right. um, I, uh, I, I, I got sailing the seas of cheese when I was around the same time of, of worshiping Victor. Mm. And I, uh, that song American life, mm-hmm. which has a that little triplet thing. I quickly just from listening to it, figured out how to do that with my left hand. It's just open, oh. open F G open, open D F G like kind of triplet thing. And I thought he was doing it with his thumb. Only a couple years ago, when I finally saw Primus live, and this was before we opened for them with the Siegelman, um, he's doing it with this kind of like raking right hand thing. He's not slapping it at all. And so it was a perfect example <laughs> of like, I actually learned a really cool skill. I learned that open hammer triplet thing, which is right. a huge slap bass thing. You know, or even like any bass thing, just using, using hammer ons and stuff. To try to- yeah, exactly. Just from hearing it. But I try to do it now with doing it the way I've seen him doing it, and it just doesn't work. Wow. And then, God forbid, I try to sing over top of it like he does because he's such a you know he's such a, a weirdo. Totally. Um, that if I if I had gone that route in the same way that I have students come in and they worship Les Claypool or or they worship Jocko, and I'm like, yeah, that's all great, but you're not going to be them, you know, and you're unless you're in a Primus cover band. No one needs to hear you play Jerry was a race car driver and, no. and tap on a fretless. And, you no. know, like, so it's if you want to learn that, let's learn that. Like, cool. I got gotcha. you. If you're trying to have a career where you're getting paid to play bass, you might need to engulf some other skills. And, and you know, as a teacher, that's got to be an interesting conversation that you are always kind of like navigating. Like, like, look, you know, like uh, I know your favorite guitar or your favorite bass player might be. Uh, you know Victor Wooten or or Les Claypool. These guys are are famous to you now, mm-hmm. but the guys that are actually making the money, right, are holding it down. Yeah, you know, while well, still being uh, able to do some of that. Yeah, 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 you know, um, the, the the slapping thing in general. I've 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 had to get away from it, especially when I first moved out here. Uh, I still credit um, 
Steve Rodby from the Pat Metheny group. When I was living in Chicago, I took some lessons from him and he just whooped my ass. Hmm. Like he was, I walked in trying to slap his face off, you know, <laughs> like, and he goes, what the hell are you doing? And he had me play whole notes to a metronome. And he's like, you're early, you're late. That one was quieter than the last one. Like he's, he's nitpicking these like tiny things that I thought I was way past. And he literally saved my career by Sensei. doing that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, no one's going to pay you to take slap solos. They're going to pay you to play whole notes in time. If you get the slap solo, tear it up. Yeah. You know, and that's, and I, I have a student now that I'm teaching her to do slap stuff and like, it hasn't really come up and I'm the first one to be like, don't be walking in the door thinking you're going to do this. Mark Meadows, that guy I mentioned before, talked about how he would go on auditions and set and plug in and start doing that right away. And they'd be like, okay, thank you. Before he even played a note because there was no slapping on that song. So why are you checking your slap tone <laughs> before the audition? Right. And so like all those things. But when that slap song comes up, you better freaking nail it. Like like the animals is leader stuff. We, sure. we, we do that. Um, uh, is it the woven web? Yeah, I think that's the with yeah. the crazy bent slap thing. Yeah. You know, and he's doing he's doing those up down th- triple thump Victor Wooten triplets on guitar, and he's nailing all of them. He's like freaking perfect with it. Yeah. Suddenly, I have to keep up with that. You know, um, so it's it's good that I still have that somewhere in there. You know, it's so it's, I'm not saying jettison all of that stuff in in uh, in service of having more useful technique. Don't focus entirely on it. You yeah. know, and also figure your own way to do it. You know, like I I watched him do it, and he was like, "No, I'm doing this triple thing here." I'm like, "No, nah, it works better if I do it at." in this other way and now that sounds way better than me trying to just do exactly what Tosin's doing right you know especially trying to uh acquire or kind of that's such a unique uh technique that like it takes a lot of time and to perfect and he's obviously already he's arrived at that scenario to try to jump in and try to like uh accompany that Mm mm-hmm Identically, yeah. To, yeah, it's got to be. It's too much. it's it's rough, but but we've gotten it. It, it took me a while, yeah. but it, I was I was lucky that I had done my Victor Wooten exercises right. back in the day. It's it's in there somewhere, even if it's not an active skill that I use every day. Sure. So, well, in uh, in addition to uh, like all your your stretching and preparation around, uh, like uh, especially for the big monster gigs like Generation X and mm-hmm. all that stuff, like uh, do you? Do you have like a formula for how you uh, take care of yourself? Like, do you like do you have a, a workout practice or do you like? Um, I wish I could say I did. Uh, for for me, more especially because I'm semi shackled to the stage for Generation X between the super long show and the super long sound check. Uh, I'm a big big fan, especially as I'm getting older, of just taking a walk, just putting putting on my headphones pulling up a, a green patch on the Google Maps and walking towards it. And by the time I come back, I've kind of like, it's it's me time, which is a big, big deal on the road, mm-hmm. you know, especially on a bus. Like your your personal space becomes the, the hottest commodity, <laughs> really, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, but also just kind of, but there's an exercise aspect to it. A lot of times I come back and I'll have walked three, four, five miles. And that's a that's a bunch of calories. No, I'm not. But I can't exhaust myself because then I still have to go be on stage for four hours. So it's you got to find some balance of that. But for me, both mentally and physically, I wind up being healthier on tour in some ways because it's like, OK, I I just ate lunch. I've got two hours till soundcheck starts. Uh, I'm in Toledo or something. 
there's a park a mile away. It looks nice. There might be a guitar store between here and there or something. Let me go see what Toledo's like. You don't have to go to the museum. You don't, you know, like you just kind of see what life is like there. What, what, it's even cooler in other countries because you wind up seeing what the actual residents of that place do. Yeah. You, you're not, you're not surrounded by American tourists in Paris. You're like, I, I was in um, Montevideo, Uruguay with Tony McAlpine um, about a year and a half ago. And I was just walking around and I see some parents picking up their kids from school. And I'm like, this is really cool. Like that, this is not a touristy thing. This is mm-hmm. how people exist here. Of course, p- parents pick their kids up from school. That shouldn't be surprising. You know, same thing happens in, in, in Tokyo and stuff. Like it seems so foreign until you walk around. And then um, you, but then, but it's, it's this thing that you'd probably, it's one of those kind of almost mundane things that you right. wouldn't, uh, fantasize or imagine about Paris or about right. Tokyo it is like seeing families pick up their kids yeah. from school. But it's, it's, it's really grounding. You know, it's and it's especially being on the road and um, and it's it's really easy to kind of get caught up in every night's a party because because for the the attendees, it is, you know, it's like those people in Toledo have been waiting for that Tuesday night that they get to see Ingve shred face. And, you know, right. and so they're partying, they're drinking and all that stuff. And so if, if you're if you get a little too caught up in that your health goes south really quickly. Like if it's, it's real easy for six to seven beers just disappear after, after the gig every night yeah. and you're not even feeling it and you're not even really partying. You're just kind of like caught up in it. And you know, you, you have to find that balance of, okay, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm playing a show for you guys. I thank you so much for coming and spending 50 to $150 for this ticket. Mm. Thank you so much here. Here I am rocking out. But then afterwards or beforehand, understand that, that it's just a Tuesday, you know, and this is, this is your life. And you, you can't, uh, at least I can't anymore, <laughs> keep up that sort of, you know, rock star lifestyle. I think some of those older guys, like, like Zach's a, a, a pretty big inspiration like that. Like, he's, yeah. he's known as someone who's, who's had his party days. Yeah, and, and he's completely kicked it. He, he loves his caffeine now. Yeah. But, um but he's but he's also totally cool with it. He's it's not like he can't be around it or anything like that. Like I'll I'll be. I remember one day I was walking down the street on a day off, and he walks by and he drags me into a bar and starts buying me drinks <laughs> while he just drinks water and coffee because he's like that okay with it. And he's a total inspiration. Like I, one of the things I love about him, especially like kind of watching him on the Gen X tour actually mm-hmm. uh, a while back with you and uh, all that. I say it, it occurred to me that I feel like Zach maybe has never lost the feeling of what it's like to be a fan. Right. So because he's still a fan of all of the all of his favorite heroes that are still yeah. around too and he and he, at, he will talk very vocally about the thing. Mm-hmm. Um but and I think I think in in some ways that he he almost crafts his personality uh to try to cater to that scenario. I mean, a, right. he's been on the stage with Ozzy for X amount of years. He's back yeah, doing yeah. the thing. It's not yeah, like yeah. he's not the mega star that he is. He yeah. totally is the guy. But there's something just so ground level about him. Oh yeah. And and he wants to give you the thing mm-hmm. that he knows that you want, you right. know, like or he thinks that you want. Yeah. So he's going to keep giving it to you, yeah. you know? And that's and him on that tour is 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 a great reminder of that. In that there are the sort of like more high-minded Vi fans out there, or or sure. even the younger Tosin fans and stuff like that. Um, and then Zach takes his walk through the entire 
freaking auditorium mm-hmm. for a good five to ten minutes just soloing and ripping through those pentatonic scales while me and, and jp and and nick hold it down on stage which is always interesting because by the time he's at the back of the stage only like 10 percent of the crowd can see them and then everybody else turns up and looks at me and i'm like hi uh <laughs> yeah i'm still playing e over here <laughs> over and over again yep. yeah here's here's more a little wing for you but those people are freaking out as as Zach walks by. It's like the Messiah walks by. Like everyone right. rushes over to take a picture with him, and that and because of that, you see way more Black Label Society shirts in the crowds than anything else. I bet. Like he's re- he really kind of engages that whole fan base in a way that we all need to remember. You know, like his 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 merch world is is incredible. Like mm. the way he's done it, the fact that he tours so much, the fact that. He tours so easily, you know. He seems like it would be a, a like between Zach Sabbath and Black Label and Ozzy, sure. Like and our thing, he's he just seems like he just wants to just play, you yeah. know, and, and give the people what they want. And it's 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 really cool to see. Actually, it's it's inspiring for sure. Right. You um, so so like off off tour, you're not necessarily you don't have like a, a formula for life or anything or a philosophy or anything that you follow. Um. Or, I, I, I'm lucky that, that these days I'm doing a lot of work on the weekends, so I have my weeks free to kind of be a little more creative. It's something I haven't done in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I had my band, Griffin Labs, for a while, uh, but we're not. We stopped playing a, a long time ago, about five years ago. We just did our first gig for the first time in like five years, uh, but we're calling it something different now. We're calling it Pete Griffin's Lab Rats. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm starting to get back into that because I don't have to chase down every single dollar bill for playing bass now. You know, yeah. be- between doing doing a lot more <laughs> studio work uh, i work a lot with bear mccreary the uh tv and film composer um i do a lot of stuff for fender like i said so just kind of being in town means i don't have to hustle as much and i don't have to worry so much about money thank god uh th- this week i mean who the hell knows <laughs> um but it's it it means i can kind of focus on i i've i've tried to incorporate my tour health thing at home like yesterday i just wound up walking around for five hours uh, sorry five miles in uh, just all over burbank where i live That's you know just like through residential streets and, ha- and felt great about it and then i can eat whatever the hell i want that night you yeah. know it's, and and it, it's 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 for me that's so much better than spending an hour in the gym uh, like especially in a beautiful place like southern california right. like i wish i could to a certain extent but i just i i I get antsy and just, just being out in nature and getting some sun and listening to whatever you want to listen to. It's great. Um, and then by the time you're done, you're sweaty and you've, you burned a bunch of calories and your legs are tired and you know, you can feel accomplished. And then that, and once again, that, that time away from music and away from your instrument kind of has you bring something else back to it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, both at home and on tour, like you, just, just those experiences. You, you can't, as, as much as early on, it was important for me to, spend as many hours practicing as I did. Now it's not as much. Now it's more about what, what other thing can I experience that's going to make me approach these strings on this fretboard a little bit differently, mm. you know, and contrast. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that are still healthy, you know, right. uh, that's, I think that's unhealthy. Yeah, exactly. And, and we, and we all know musicians who have, who've fallen down those paths yeah. where then it's, instead of it being a positive thing, you bring back to the instrument, they start deteriorating on their instrument a little bit. And that's, uh, that's always kind of sad to see. Um, but it's understandable, you know, and the, especially for people who tour all the time to come off of that every day is a party atmosphere. Mm. And then be, I used to have major, major issues with that where I'd get home from a month and a half tour and I wouldn't leave my couch for two weeks. 
and just like just to have the the shades drawn and like playing playing PlayStation and stuff and just like you know at first it's okay it's okay for a couple of days for that sort of come down but after a while it's like dude you got to get out there and and remind yourself and remind people that you exist you know and and just go to shows go support your friends we all have friends playing shows every night in this town right you know um it's it's uh it's it's important to kind of still re-engage on all that stuff that got you excited about all this to begin with you know and that's uh that's as as you do it longer and longer that's harder and harder to do and then and then i go and see my friends play and i'm like what the hell am i doing i gotta come i gotta do this you know i gotta do this more often this is this is amazing Mm -hmm. i uh the, uh, the bass players that I know in town, I, I love seeing them play. Derek Frank is one. Um, you know, I, I see him play at just a kind of fun cover gig at, at a bar in Burbank. And I was like, I'm so glad I came to this. You know, or going to the Potato and seeing people play there, seeing Beller play with, with Keneally or uh, yeah. just stuff like that. Or, or um, yeah, just, just all those dudes. Like, it's it's cool. And, and we live at a, in a time where all that stuff is, is really available so it's it's sort of on you. It's it's not you, you don't have a lack of options at least at right. least not living here. But I feel like almost every city now, you know, has has some some sort of community. Sure, where that's happening. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, the live scene, live music scene, is always in need of support. Right. So, God, even, we, yeah, we all know that. Even, even if you can just show up for your your one friend's right. set, and you know, but it means they're going to show up for yours. Yeah. You know, and and you can't. You can't get mad at people for not coming to your gig when you haven't gone to anything in months. Right. You know, like it's 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 all reciprocal, and and we gotta, and that that's one of the things of, I've I've been in L.A. since two thousand one, and how many times has the music industry changed since two thousand one? Like quite a bit. Like the money keeps moving. The guys who used to get mechanical royalties for radio play are wondering where the hell their their checks went, mm-hmm. and they can't adapt. We're we're at least lucky th- those of us who are around my age in the music industry that we've had to learn to adapt constantly. You know, like the a- album budgets are now literally a tenth of what they used to be. You used to yeah. get half a million. Now you're lucky to get fifty thousand. Yeah, you know, lucky <laughs> if you can't lucky, get an album yeah. done for fifty grand, you're you're screwing up. Um, because there was all this other padding involved and stuff. Now it's everything's been pared away to okay, what is essential here? And what is essential is we still need music. You know, mm-hmm. we people still need this. It's not going away, uh, and there will still be people willing to do it. Uh, we just need to kind of embrace it and help each other out. And that's what's been really cool about um, the community out here is that it, you would think that with some of the work drying up and and more and more musicians moving here every day, that we would get a little more territorial. And at first, I was like that, but then I started realizing that most of the work I was getting was from other bass players. So I had to stop hating other Ooh, bass players. Interesting <laughs> just, concept. Just fundamentally. Yeah. But it makes sense because they, they need yeah. someone to sub for them that they know is good, that they know isn't a liability, yeah. that they know, you know they can get in and out of Canada with no problems. They're, they're not going to try to steal their gig because you know, I would never do that to Brian Beller or to Derek Frank or, or to any of these guys. Um, I'm, I'm going to – not that I could even, but just, you know, just that mentality. Like, so we all kind of have to – We've all kind of come together and helped each other out, and uh, it's actually it's actually really cool to see because we're all we're all kind of stuck in the same boat, unfortunately. Sure. Like I, I, it's kind of a gross way of looking at it, but we're sort of all addicts. Like we're we're sort of all just going to do this no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, to to the the detriment of relationships and and health and financial stability <laughs> and all that. We're all kind of screwed, you know. Um, 
uh, I had a I had a talk with with my buddy uh, Jimmy Hayward from Legend of the Seagull. Yeah, f- a few years ago, and I was I was going through like a pretty big crisis of did I did I tie my horse to the wrong carriage here? Like, was music a bad choice? And he kind of right. looked at me and he goes, "What are you talking about? You're screwed. You can't do anything else." <laughs> and I was like. I, I tell that to people and they're like, what a dick. Like, why, why would he say that? And yeah. I'm like, no, it was exactly what I needed to hear because I, I, he's right. I can't. So I need to point all of my energy towards this. Right. I, I can't think about going to plumbing school. I can't, you know, if, if, if I, I can do other things for money in the meantime, but sure. I, to, to make this happen, you kind of have to focus on it. I know tons of musicians now that are paying their bills, doing other stuff you know, uh, being property manager for their apartment complex or drive an Uber, you know, or stuff like that. Like we're, we can't expect creative music necessarily to pay all our bills. If you're in a place like that, you're incredibly lucky. Incredibly lucky. Yeah. So I've, I've really embraced playing cover gigs and stuff like that. And just, just using my skill to make the money and getting really good at that. Because of that, I can now relax a little bit and be creative again. That's good. You know, it's yeah, really yeah. great. I'm having more writing sessions with people. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm about to go home and kind of redo my entire studio so that I can just walk in and, and create. And, you know, and that was something I did a long time ago, but I, I really haven't embraced so much recently. But now I have the freedom to do so. Wow, that's the best. So, yeah. Take the pressure off of the creativity uh, to, to, so the creativity doesn't necessarily have to pay the bills. If you right. can do something that is uh, skill based with like cover songs. Yep. It's just mostly skill based. You have some feel. It's like it's not that you're not yeah. doing things, but you don't have yeah, to. You don't, you don't have to invent anything, right? Right. You just yeah. have to kind of execute it well. Yeah. Uh, and then then that buys you some time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If if you're the if you're the kind of person that can handle that, yeah. You know, uh, not everybody can. Right. And then and if that's the case, then figure out something else you can do to make your money and make your bizarre music yeah. that that no one else has ever heard before. And please do that because. You know, like right. I, I, I just saw uh, Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan, um, yeah. who I'm, I'm, I think that band is one of the most important bands of our time. Easily. Because he created unlistenable music. <laughs> like, like, arguably, you play that for pretty much anybody, and they're like, what the hell is this? Like, I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Um, but then, not only did he create that and create a fan base for it, he then pissed that fan base off by adding <laughs> listenable elements right. into it. And made a whole business off of it by, by being so anti what was out there. And we, we still yeah. need that so desperately. You I, know? Remember, I remember when I first heard Calculating Infinity. I, it's like, what I is just, going on here? What? <laughs> yeah. Wait. W- w- d- uh, huh? Yeah. I'm like, still like that. You no, know? I and, st- and, I know, and I know those guys. And I've, like, I've been in a bus with them and stuff. And, yeah. and like watch them do it and while they're swinging from the rafters. and Maybe and the world's that. most dangerous band. Yeah. Yeah, they really like, that's, were. That's and, he's, and he's still doing all that stuff with, with I, touring with Suicidal I Tendencies. I saw the clip just the other day of yeah. him missing... Yeah. Like the footing and like landing in the middle of his right back. On his back. On like yeah. a, and he didn't realize that it happened until someone showed him a video of it. He was like, oh, that looks really bad. <laughs> that, that was the gig I was at. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. And, oh he's, God, and he's just constantly man. doing that. And he's, but he's such a mellow dude. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like we went out for, for tacos the other day and like he's, he's not climbing on the table or anything like that. We're just sitting there. But he, he genuinely talking. seems like a really chill dude. Yeah. Oh, he's But awesome. you put him on stage with a guitar and yep. like he's just an alter ego almost. Yeah. yeah. And also, especially when it was, when it was his baby, when it was Dillinger, because right. that was like, that was part of that whole thing. And he, and, no, he uh, created a whole, uh, I mean, 
I was I saw them. I want to see was maybe like must have been in two thousand two thousand one or something like that. That uh, with Candiria, okay, it came through, and it was the first time I saw them live, and it was just like it that I hadn't quite seen a stage presence quite like that yet. Yeah, and then there was like that was the, they were the underground, and mm-hmm. then and then there was all these other bands that kind of started getting big, and they tried to copy some of the persona some of the stage presence but yeah, you yeah. never quite get it right yeah because they're too safe yeah ben's not safe no god that no. band's not safe no no like there's Producing like from it I, I feel so bad for whoever his, his guitar tech is you know uh, oh, the, wow. the, yeah like because they gotta they gotta be like changing guitar strings and then like oh crap he's climbing on his amp and they gotta run over and stabilize his amp while he's like climbing all over that Turn the tree doesn't and, like, die yeah, yeah um so it's it's the, the fact that he survived as long as he has to the point where he could retire uh, off he, it. And he now, could have a, a coffee table book of just shots of him in the air. Yeah, like falling like, like, upside down. Like and, coming down like from like way too high. Yeah. Into yeah. the crowd or onto the stage. Yeah. I've just seen like probably 30 of them myself. Yep. But I don't know. Maybe I need to put that book together. Yeah, really. Like, yeah, let's, let's call Ben. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. Um not to cut you off, did you finish your thought? On yeah, man. That's um, let's finish up with. Um, tell me what uh, what you've been listening to recently uh, oh, that wow. you think that maybe and, and extra points for for stuff that you think that not a lot of people know about. Okay, um, it's funny, and th- th- this kind of gets back into the um, falling back in love with music kind mm-hmm. of aspect okay. of things. Like when it when it is your job too much, it's like uh. I I have problems. Um, listening to music in the car because these days, not so much anymore, but for a while, because I was playing with a different group every week, had a different artist stuff to learn. Anytime I'm listening to music, it should be something I am listening to for work. Like I, there's some song I should be wrapping my head around and stuff like that. So the pleasure listening doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to, which I'm sad to say, ultimately. Uh, but I have to keep my sanity <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said... Um, things that I've found recently, um, people, people think that I'm way more into the prog and metal kind of things. I, I was for a while, uh, or even some of the jazzier stuff. Uh, I've, I've come back around on it, but it's more, I, I really love just, I love great production and I love well-written songs. Uh, there's this reggae artist called Coffee, spelled with a K. Okay. She has a 15-minute EP, which has more genius ideas on it than, like, a 60-minute album that I've heard in a while. She's, like, 18 or 19. Uh, it's, Female reggae artist yeah, named Coffee. Yeah, with a K. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just incredible. Like, I, I, uh, every time I listen to that 15-minute, to that like, five-song EP or something like that, um, I, I hear some other idea, her, her melodic ideas, her rhythmic ideas, oh. and it's all encompassed in these groovy ass tunes that just like cool. set up this vibe. Okay. It's not, it, it, it certainly owes something to, to dusty reggae kind of, you know, upsetters and, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but it has a very modern vibe too. There's, there's some more of the dance hall stuff. There's some more of the reggaeton stuff. There's a lot more kind of modern hip hop. Uh, but it's just incredible. Like it's, it's, that, that's one of those things where, you know, when when I see f- friends I haven't seen in a while, and the the same fan that ten years ago I would have told about "Crack the Sky" by Mastodon, uh-huh. be like, I know it's a metal band, but you should really check this shit out because <laughs> it's like it's just mind blowing and and yeah. like nothing I've ever heard before. Uh, and I still stand by that. That's kind of what it is now for this, where okay. in terms of something that people wouldn't necessarily either expect me to to say or have heard of. 
you know. Sure. Uh, so coffee with a K, check it out. I'm interested in that. <laughs> yeah. You got anything else? Is that? Uh, I don't right think so. Yeah, I mean, with, I'm super psyched to be doing that Death Clock gig coming up. Yeah, yeah. And just play with with Gene and Brendan again, and we have Nilly Brash on guitar this time, who I played with with Tony. When I kind of first met you, That's I right. think, yeah, for the EMG did, stuff. Yeah, well, did um, well actually the first time you came with uh, Electron Jordan. Mute, That's Jordan, right. yeah, and with then Thomas, yeah, Fridge and, Jones. yeah, yeah. and, and then oh, we man. did that Tony stuff. I haven't seen Thomas um, in a while. Yeah, me neither, actually. What what what, what gig has he got now? Uh, he occasionally does stuff with Trash Talk. Oh, okay. Uh, which is another dangerous people flying off the stage kind of oh, yeah. like punk band. Um, they're way more skater, th- hardcore kind of thing. Um, but he does that gigs then, or whatever it is. Is it with Trash Talk maybe? Or? Yeah. Well, big? and then he was doing uh, something with this uh, uh, Latin band called Residente, uh, okay. where he was all over South America. For, okay. That that was the big gig. That might have been from what I saw. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so having Neely and Death Clock is gonna. Be, I mean, as much as Keneally was amazing, uh, and I I love Mike Keneally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he and I have this project that we've been working on for years, and just need to kind of get it together. Oh, cool. Uh, with Ben Thomas from the Zappa Band and this uh, keyboard player named Jonathan Sindelman and Chris Myers from Umphreys McGee playing drums. Very cool. Uh, we've we've been working on these demos for years and years, and we're all just so busy that following up on it. But um, but having Neely and Death Clock is going to be amazing because that girl does her homework. Yep. Like when I was playing with Tony, uh, we were in rehearsal, and I'd ask Tony about how does some lick go, and he'd go, I don't know, ask Neely. You know, like yeah. that's that's how prepared she is. She's so yeah, that's that's going to be really really fun. And is there any chance we're going to see Giraffe Tongue Orchestra do anything? Me, Ever. Ben and I were just talking about it. It's, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do could be considered a super group as much as that's become a bad word. Right. Um, I, I'm also at the point where I kind of don't want to do anything that's not considered a super group because I don't want to start a band from nothing. I, I, sure. I, I'm lucky enough that I have great friends who are already successful musicians. So anything I do with them could fall under that category, but I want I'm not going to fight the battle of playing for 20 people at 7:30 p.m. at the whiskey for oh, tickets man. that I sold myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm 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 a little too old for that, and I can hopefully get to the point where people care about it before anything else happens, right. just because just by virtue of the people involved. That being said, that whole thing becomes a scheduling nightmare. I know. Um, same with same with Legend of the Zoom and with uh, with Danny Carey on drums. Yeah, you know, that was like, my next question. Too. Yeah, like, like we're we we're, we're 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 already working on new, we're demoing new songs for the next rec- next record. Cool. Um, we're waiting our time. That I mean, uh, having Jimmy Hayward involved in that means we're not going to do anything that's beneath us. You know, like we're yeah. only going to do it when it's a big deal. Opening for Primus on New Year's, which was highlight of my life. Yeah. Um, playing the Roxy with them was really fun. Uh, but we're, 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 that's the thing that kind of needs to be a big deal when it happens. Yeah. With Giraffe Tongue, I'd, I'd love to say the exact same thing, that, that it would happen eventually. I really don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not really up to me. Well, I might be starting a petition online there you go. Please to, do. to like, bring GTO, yeah. you know, to like at least like oh, a small West Coast tour. Yeah, like, I, I mean, sp- we we were supposed to do that one tour. Oh my oh, god, I remember. Yep, and then Brent, uh, Brent, I love you, Brent. Uh, I really do. I, I love that guy so much. Um, He's great. I, I have I have problems with musician friends of mine who have anything to do with motorcycles. I don't want to go down any further thing down that. Yeah. But all he was doing was starting the motorcycle. He wasn't even riding it. 
he was literally just trying to get an old motorcycle started and something happened with the kickstart thing on it and his knee went backwards like his leg went up uh, against his knee he fainted and then our tour didn't happen And I uh, remember that part of the story. Yeah, that that was why the we we had like a a two week tour that was you know going to be fun, uh, and a few days before that was supposed to happen. Yeah, he uh, that happens. So I mean, and that can happen to any like you can yeah, you, you can be stepping off the curb and, and twist your knee. Yeah. But uh, it was just funny that it was motorcycle related. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um. But you know, but he's fine now, and uh, and he and I have have such a have such a great friendship. And, and even working relationship now too, like when he comes out to do the Siegelman stuff, yeah. like he and I sort of get together and I show him his parts and, cool. and all that. Well, and Siegelman's great, man. I really dig that record and I do look forward to new stuff. I love Jimmy. I love Danny Carey, of course, mm-hmm. I love you and, and the whole crew there. But man, I just, I have to, my, my favorite thing that you've been a part of has been GTO. That, it, that, I like all the things, but like I yeah. was listening to it again this morning just because uh-huh. of you were coming over and I was like. I really like though. I really like how I can hear the bass so well in this mix too. Like I feel like you're a really present part of that band. Yeah, and so it just makes me extra. Like I know there's something extra about it. Well, yeah, and that was and that's sort of the, the not sad thing, but the sort of frustrating thing about the fact that it hasn't become all. But it could never have been all of our main things. Brent right. Brent is never leaving no. Mass on. Let you know. Don't quote me on that. But um, you know, and 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 William has the whole Alice thing, and uh, you know. And Thomas is doing whatever. So, but the, what was what was really really exciting for me about that, and the Siegelman to a certain extent, but Siegelman I came in a little bit later, so a lot of the bass parts were already written. Uh, GTO has my fingerprints all over it, yeah. you know, uh, and the, awesome. the way they mixed it, they did have me pretty hot in the mix, which is always a, a wonderful thank you, no, you know, like good. that's 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 it's a not great... too much, right, right, it's right, just right, right, you know, and it's and it's and it's and it's stuff we can recreate live with the two guitar players and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I am, I'm super duper proud of that record. It, it's certainly, it's another one that uses all of my skills. Like there's, there's the pick stuff. There's tons of pick stuff on it. There's tons of finger style. I think there's a couple slap moments, all the odd time signature stuff that, that is my thing, yeah. you know, but also the straight ahead kind of rocking kind of things. It's, um, it's, it's a really sweet, uh, thing for everybody. I mean, in my, as a fan being involved, you know, uh, to see it, hear everybody's part in it, uh, your, your part, uh, I'm extra uh, excited about and and the fact that uh, uh, that I've always wanted to hear more of Will in uh, in in Alice in Chains, right. like because like they, they only give him like one, two songs, like an album where he kind of really we really feel like you hear Will's voice. Yeah, it's not just it's the, not the, just, the lane it's impersonation. Not, it's not the sound of right. Alice in Chains, right? Right, right. Like uh, uh, and and I always wanted to kind of like hear more of yeah. that, and I get that in the yeah. al- in Spades on this album. And, yeah. Uh, and that's what was so cool is we we had tracked that we had written and tracked that entire record with no vocalist, like that's we crazy. we we had had um, Juliet Lewis sort of involved, but mm-hmm. she was never going to be on the whole thing. She th- there are there are versions of those songs that only have her on it that are actually pretty great. She she did a great job. Wow. But some of them she was just never going to be able to pull it to off. really kind. Of, yeah, exactly. It just it just wasn't the right fit. It's not not that's a la- right. not a lack of talent, but like I do remember uh, Ben announcing that Juliet was going to be involved in a project, and that was the project that was supposed to yeah. be. Yeah, right? and she's on the record. She's she's on. Um, uh, uh, I forget the name of the song now. The shoot 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 him down song. Uh, okay. The one uh, yeah, she 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 actually sings a part on it, but. Um, uh, so we tracked the whole thing, and then Ben and I t- texted back and forth for maybe six months to a year, 
throwing out random names of of who could do it, you know, who could be our singer, and being ridiculous about it. Like, uh, Mike Patton was brought up because he's already done stuff with them. That seems like an obvious choice. I was like, how about Seal or Sting? Or, you know, like, we were just shooting (laughs) for the stars. Yeah. And then Brent runs into Will at a Whole Foods in Atlanta and goes, hey, you want to sing on this record? And Will's like, sure. And then he goes and does it, and the stuff he sends back, I thought was incredible. Like, he, he really did a, an amazing job of yeah. finding melodies and, and hooks over this pretty bizarre, angular kind of rock and roll that we had written. So I'll, I'll always give him credit for that, for kind of taking it in a new direction and really putting his own stamp on it, too, yeah. in, in a way that, like, he and I were sort of in the same boat like that, where, he, like, he's been singing other people's parts, and I've been playing other people's bass lines for most mm. of my career. So that thing was sort of our both of our opportunity to be like, we do our own shit too. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I can, I, like, that's that's a big part of it. I get yeah. to hear your voice. I get to hear your vibe and creativity. You're not just in coming in and, and yeah. doing the Steve I or doing stuff that's already been really like established. Right. You get to like really yeah. uh, assert your Yeah, own and that's stuff. and the next Eagleman record I think is gonna be more like that because yeah. 'cause we're all writing together. Jim, Jimmy and I have become cool. sort of a little writing machine and then I'll even do like demo stuff of drum parts on on Easy Drummer, thinking of Danny. You know, how, yeah. how would Danny Carey approach this? And then, of course, I don't want to go too deep because I don't want to infect him too much. I want him to do his own thing. But well, he'll, he'll like yeah. where we started and then do his own thing. Like, he, he recently just just retracked one of my demo drum things, and I was like, so much better. <laughs> like, you know, of, of course it is. And uh, and, it, and it sounds credible. And, and we, we have a cool sort of, like, system in place now. But uh, we, and that album was was well received and and all that, so we don't we don't want to squander anything. Right. We're, we're not just going to fart out a second record, you know. We're we're really going to take our time and, and, and do it right. And uh, um, like it's uh, Danny just got back from Tool Tour, so once he's kind of recovered from that, um, we'll we'll probably get in the studio and, and start working on all that stuff. So cool. Yep. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Thanks. Well, thanks for your time. Of Pete. course, this I is awesome, it, man. Players Pick Podcast Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson This episode of Players Pick Podcast Brought to you by our good friends at Jim Dunlop Guitar Products Kiesel Custom Guitars Mackie Headphones and Mixers Sound design by Drew of the Drew Voiceovers by the amazing Mini Joe I'm Chris Johnson, your host Until next time.